At one point in his remarkable career, Archie Hess was in the fast-paced motoring world of BMW, but nothing gets the heart going quite like trying to build a banking system from the ground up to become one of the world's best. And that is exactly what Archie has done as the CEO of Ghana Interbank Payment and Settlement Systems. Find out how he did it and what it could mean for the rest of the banking world here on Dave and Darm Demystify. From the studios of NMD Plus in the UK and US comes the Dave and Darm Demystify show. Dave and Darm Demystify Show, making sense of the world of fintech and digital finance. Sit back and listen as the two Ds take a subject and chat it through to make it clearer and easier to understand. And now, here are your hosts, Dave Wallace and Darm Mystery. Demystify. Welcome to the Dave and Darm Demystify Show. And today we have Archie Hess on the show. And we're continuing on the theme that there's a lot to be learned out of Africa, you know, more than just M-Pesa, right? And so it's our great pleasure to have Archie on the show. And Archie, look, I know you're doing fantastic stuff, right? But can you give the audience a bit about your background? I think that will explain why we've got you on the show, right? (laughs) Right. In terms of my background, I was born in Ghana, then completed my secondary cycle in Ghana and went over to the UK to complete my university degree in physics. I then moved on to do my PGCE, King's College then a master's MBA, uh, Middlesex University. That's my academic background. In terms of working experience, after my PGC, I taught for roughly seven, eight years or so at a school called St. Gregory, somewhere in North London. I grew up in North London and just down the road from Middlesex University. All right. So not too far from where I lived in Hillview Gardens. Yeah. So after having taught for seven, eight years, that was when I then completed my MBA at Middlesex and then changed careers. I learned a company had bought Rover. I think that was way back and it was BMW. So I moved on to become a project manager for BMW, lived in Munich at the plant for some time and then came back to support the establishment of the Mini at Oxford. Then I worked between the plants in Spartanburg in the U.S. for the X5, then Roslyn, South Africa. And then finally, I'd supported the rollout of Phantom at Goodwood. That was when I was approached by the Central Bank of Ghana and that there was an initiative to modernize the payment systems in Ghana and to bring it up to world-class standard and ask whether I was available to support I'm talking about somewhere around 2006, seven thereabouts. So I then left England 2007, November, I think 30th or 29th November, and started working at GIPS, which stands for Ghana Interbank Payment and Settlement Systems Limited. I know it's a mouthful, but it was, it is a wholly owned limited liability company owned by, 100% owned by the central bank that has been set up to oversee the implementation and all the various products and services 
surrounding the payment systems in Ghana. How do you go from being in a car company to going over to financial services? The other guests that we've had, like Henry Bay, had similar kind of stories. And I just think there's something there that, you know, in Africa, it's okay that you come from a totally different industry and you can make a massive pivot to something else. <laughs> That's true, but not in my case. If you recall, I made mention of the fact that my degree was in physics and computing, and I then taught computing at a school. So then I moved on to BMW to implement IT systems for manufacturing. And what I'm doing now is looking at IT systems for the payment systems. So the core is IT. The business happens to be teaching car manufacturing, and now payment systems. Who knows? It could be agric, it could be mine, it could be various different aspects of business areas in the world. But IT is IT, and how you adapt it is where the application comes in. It's like being an HR specialist. You could be an HR for a manufacturing company, HR for education, HR for a mining company, but the core discipline is the HR which in my case happens to be the IT. So what then happens normally is that once you move into a different business area, you need to familiarize yourself with the business areas. And that, those were some of the challenges I had initially. So 2007 was when I arrived in Ghana, somewhere either 29th or 30th November, I can't remember, but started working straight away on the 1st or the 2nd. I had already secured the role. So it was just a question of joining. And the company in question was formed in May 2007. But it took roughly six months for me to shut down from my old job. So somewhere around December, it was when I started. So I was like six months behind. And at that time, they had recruited the CEO, the chief operating officer, and a very small skeleton staff. I came in as the general manager in charge of projects and business development. And our initial remit was to address some of the issues that we had in Ghana, which was most of the banks were in Accra, that's the capital, Kumasi, that's the second biggest capital, and then Takradi. And that's where you find most of the banking infrastructure. The rest of the areas in Ghana, you could hardly find any banks. It doesn't mean that banking services were not needed there. They were, but the banks wouldn't go there. And it was mainly because of the safe homes, electricity, communication challenges, etc. That's why banks seem to have coagulated around these three centers. So our remit was to address that. As a result of that, Ghana had a very large unbanked population. I'm sure you know about the effects. I don't want to go into the economics of payment systems, but how if you want to develop a country and you have a very large unbanked population, it means that most of the funds that exist in the country resides outside the banking sector. And there's no way you can develop a country when you don't have enough funds in at the banks and the central bank doesn't have any view of the transactions that carries on in, in the country. It makes monetary policies very, very difficult. And the country would also not have enough funds to develop the country. We also had a second issue where 90 plus of transactions were carried out in cash. As you know, the currency in Ghana is called a CD. It's not printed in Ghana. It's printed outside. So it means that we use our hard-earned forex, which we should be using to develop our education, the health sector, as well as the other vital areas of the economy, to be printing, to be using to pay for the cost of printing the currency. We also incur a lot of costs 
in transporting, ensuring that the currencies that have been printed and brought in is safe, stored safely and transported safely. That adds another cost. And then also once it's all being used, we also spend a lot of money to make sure that they are destroyed in a safe manner. So this is what we call in phases latent energies, wasted energy in the country. So our remit was to ensure that we come out with products and services that would encourage banking in the country and also move Ghana into a cash light. It's impossible to have a cashless society, but a near cashless society. And that's basically how we started. Our first product was the e-switch product, and that was a biometric card. And that biometric card has certain significant features that we thought at the beginning we were going to use it to address the on-bank. One, in order to authenticate, you need a fingerprint. In fact, in order to secure one, all you need is to have a legal document that could be a passport or a driver's license or a voter's register, and all your fingerprints are captured and stored on the card. Once that has been done, you are given a full-fledged bank account. So in a way, it allows a lot more people to own a full-fledged bank account than before because the previous KYC was extremely laborious. One, you need to know someone in the banking sector or have secured a job, etc. And most of the sectors we have in Ghana are informal. So it makes it very difficult. How did they prove identity as part of that? Exactly. Now we have moved on, talking about 2007. Now we have digital addressing system in Ghana. We have national IDs, etc. Things that were not available. There's a complete parallel with what's going on within India and what India did with Aadhaar card. Exactly. Something similar is what we have there, the Aadhaar card. We study a lot what goes on in India and a few countries as well. We're in a developed economy and we don't have that today. You know, I have several IDs. I have a driving license, I have a passport. I have a national insurance number for tax. All of these are different IDs. I don't have a single card that holds any one ID. And, you know, we're meant to be in the developed economy. In Ghana now, we have harmonized everything, a single national ID, and it's biometric as well. And all the other agencies, the immigration, everything else feeds, the national health insurance scheme, everything feeds into that. The e-switch card also works offline, which means that the funds are actually stored on the card. It's the reverse of what banking systems work. The debit card, and you want to withdraw funds, you take your debit card, you insert into an ATM, and then it will ask you for your PIN. That PIN information goes to the back end of your bank. So it has to go through the communication lines. If there's a break or any truncation, you'll not be able to complete that particular transaction. In the case of the e-switch card, your fingerprints are stored on the card. So when you insert it into a biometric post, you present your fingerprint, it captures it and compares it to what has been stored on the card. No need for communication to the back of the host of your bank. What happens if you lose your card? I mean, is that just like losing some notes? If you lose your card, every transaction that is carried out at a point of sale device, you leave fingerprints there. So we would be able to reconstruct the last position of the card in terms of value. So you go to the bank where you obtain the card from, but they will then use the reconstruction I was talking about to then find the final position of the card and then debit or credit your card with the final position. 
And also, because the amount is actually stored on the card, the last position that you have is what's on the card. And on a nightly basis, there's synchronization between what's on the card and what's at the back end of every month. So, for example, when you have 100 CDs on your card and you spend 40 CDs, your card would then reflect 60 CDs left on your card. However, the back end will still be 100. It's only until settlement has taken place before the back end will be in sync with what's on the card. Let's say if I gave you 50 CDs offline and then reported my card stolen, your card would still sync. So the bank would still know that I've given you this 50 CD offline, right? If you try anything, we'll be able to find who the perpetrators are because of the biometric identity that's traced for every transaction. We also have a payment distribution system attached to it. And what happens is that government currently uses it heavily to eliminate duplications in their payroll files. So if you have, for example, a thousand teachers in a given school and they are all paid via the e-switch, so come pay day, you pay to the e-switch card. And because you all have your biometric fingerprints, if you have any duplications in there, will be able to eliminate it. And government has used it to eliminate duplications or goosenes, as they say in most of the government interventions. Currently, the World Bank also uses it a lot to know for sure who is receiving what. Because we have a biometric monitoring system that actually turns out report. It has served us very well. One of the drawbacks that we had was that there was a need for us to change all our ATMs and point of sale into a biometric. And that was very, very costly. So we came up with a hybrid where we allow the ATMs to work both on the EMV cards as well as the biometric cards. But we don't have enough of it. So that has been some of the constraints. However, individuals are free to walk into bank branches and withdraw and transact from there. But as you know, currently banks are working very hard to serve customers electronically, remotely, as opposed to individuals coming to the banking halls. So that's something that we hasn't really also worked so much in our favor. The card, the, the biometric e-switch card, is also the only true interoperable payment system that we have in the world. What do I mean by that? What I'm saying is if you obtain your e-switch card from Bank A, not only can you use Bank B's ATM and point of sale, but you can actually walk into any bank branch and still transact because this is fully interoperable. The whole system is at one place. That's GIPS. So we are able to ensure that interoperability is not only limited to ATMs and pulses, but also at bank branches as well. So if you happen to obtain your e-switch card from Bank A and happens to be in Waliwale, and Waliwale doesn't have Bank A, but they have Bank B and Bank C without ATMs and pulses, you can still walk into any of the bank branches and transact. The next thing we did was organize the check clearing system in Ghana. That was somewhere around 2008. At that time, we had 10 clearing zones. So if you sign a check to someone within Accra, it normally takes between three to five days before the checks are cleared. If it's inter-region, it takes about maybe up to two weeks. Consolidated all the clearing house to Gibbs, one place, and we truncated it. So we use a check truncation, introduce a check truncation system as well. So if you are given a check, you go to a bank. The bank then receives the check. 
and then they scan it and then they send it electronically to Gibbs for processing. We're able to shorten check clearing from what it was before to same day clearing and next day. Is it also possible for the cardholder just to scan it into an app themselves or do they have to take the check to the branch? Well, you have to take it to your bank's branch. There were a couple of banks that gave the remote receiving check clearing for a huge corporate that they had. If you want that, that means that that particular entity, although it's not a bank branch, will be seen as a bank branch so far as the systems are concerned. And they will need to be certified. Else that's where most of the fraud might happen. So, for example, all the receivers would have to be trained as if they are tellers to be able to invest, sort of assess a check, whether it's a fraudulent check or not. So far as we are concerned, if you have that kind of arrangement in place with any corporate, we will treat the corporate as a bank branch, one of your bank branches. And we have one or two of them. But because of the stringent measures around it, it hasn't grown as much. But the good news is that all checks in the country, irrespective of whether they are within Accra or any part of Ghana, can be cleared express today, same day. You have value same day. This goes back to my theory that digital is not only transforming you know, companies, but it's actually transforming countries and actually enabling them to leapfrog other countries. I was going to say, I mean, it really sounds like the mission wasn't at a company level, it is at a country level. And that's yeah. it's extraordinary, to be honest with you. Archie, we've got a few minutes left, and I really want to get inside your head about where you see all this going. I mean, what's it going to be like? What are some things that are coming in the next five years? Very quickly, we have then moved on to introduce the ACH direct credit so that when come salary payday, everybody receives their salaries at the same time, irrespective of whichever. We also introduced the ACH direct debit, which you have in England for repetitive payments. We've linked what we call the GH link. That's a Ghana link. Irrespective of wherever you obtained your card from, your ATM card, you can use each other's ATM card. Unlike England, we have our own homegrown EMV scheme as well, which we call the GH link scheme. Instead of Visa and MasterCard, and we process everything ourselves. So that's what we have in the card rails. Then we move on to the real-time rails where we introduce a Gips G instant pay. So I'll be able to send money to another bank instantly from my phone or my mobile app for my PC, etc. And then we also introduce the proxy pay. I think you have the proxy pay where you link your telephone number to your bank account number for ease of transfers. At that time, then we also had the mobile money companies, which has now become, has grown in Ghana. We have about five companies offering mobile money services. And then we realized that they were working in silos. So we interconnected them. So every mobile money company can now send to each other. We then added the bank accounts to it and also added the e-switch to it. Any source of funds are fully interoperable. And we have transferring between bank accounts and mobile wallets and e-switch cards is seamless. What we now recently introduced was a universal QR code for purchasing. So it means that our universal QR code is linked to the real-time reel. So we just created the channels. We also introduced a number, an associated number underneath. Just in case you don't have a smartphone, you can use the USSD version to make payments. And the QR code is linked to either your bank account or your wallet in the country. So anybody at all can then pay to it. 
And that's where we are now in the country. We now also want to enhance our GHLink card. That's our own homegrown card where we are going to use the Pan-African banks. We are linked to some of them already so that if I have my GHLink card from Ghana, I can go to Nigeria, South Africa, anywhere within Africa and still transact at least at the ATMs and at the point of sale and e-commerce level. Just a bit of an enhancement to the GHLink card. And that's where we have traveled from 2007 to now. Wow. I mean, what a phenomenal journey that's been. And I have to reiterate the point that there's some stuff that you're doing that development countries just don't have. Not only have you bridged these kind of technologies, but you've allowed competition to thrive, which is absolutely key. Our next target is to develop usage so that we can hit about 80. The bank population will be 80 plus and all transactions will be done virtually electronic as well again. And once we achieve that by end of this year or next year, I'll say we'll have the best payment system set up in the world. I mean, is that 80% of the population will be banked? Yes, of the bankable population. That's incredible. So you've kind of really looked at how you can use the infrastructure to drive inclusion. I think is really interesting and important. We've realized that a lot of the formal sector like to use the banking world and the informal sector prefers the wallet world, which is more like the transactional world. And the KYC is lower there. But because of interoperability, we are all able to work between each other. So we've got all the ingredients. And the QR code as well allows the informal sector. So if you are selling sandwiches on the road, you can have your own QR code receiving transactions either from a wallet or from a bank account electronically. It's been a fascinating listen to all of this stuff. And I want to just say, look, I mean, I'm sure there's more that we can cover and that you can tell us. Thank you so much for your insights. Fascinating. Thank Thank you, Arch. It's been amazing. Thank you very much. Thank you for tuning in to Dave and Dan Demystify. We hope you join us next time and check back in the weeks ahead as we build our podcast vault on SoundCloud. Be sure to connect with Dave Wallace and Darmish Mystery on LinkedIn. And until next time, ciao and have a marvellous week. The Dave and Dom Demystify Show is a production of NMD Plus, London, Chicago and Austin, Texas.